Okay. So we're live Hello. on TikTok, we're live on Instagram, and we're live on here, right? Hip it. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, Jim and I were just having a wee chat off camera there, obviously. There's uh, a few properties and, and things that, uh, that you've, you've maybe not forgot about, Jim, but just that they didn't realise we're in, uh, in the mix at this time in your journey. So we're going to cover that today. Uh, and I think you've got a few insights and things for us to cover. All right, well, uh, just a few we over <laughs> about 13. <laughs> All of a sudden in my history and my, my documentation, I missed 13 properties, which actually meant I was I probably had a lot more when I retired um in my first million than yeah. my first million. I was probably there quicker. I just didn't realize it. I just didn't realize it at all. I think that's the most important thing. Some of the lessons I've learned so far though, and this is actually quite an interesting one. It's actually I was actually listening during the week. This is it's not the pursuit of happiness you, you should be after. That's really quite a selfish and shallow goal. Uh, because happiness is like the sun, it goes out and in all the time. Uh, what you should want to be is the person that's that's built the ark when the flood comes. Yeah. That's a really profound statement, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's not the pursuit of happiness that you're after. It's you want to be the person that's built the ark when the flood comes. And I really mean that. Wow, what a position to be in. And this is literally what I was doing all throughout this process before I, before I left my job and retired at 38. I was building an ark. I didn't know how big, big that arc needed to be at that point in time, but I needed to build that arc for myself to make sure that I was never, ever in a position that I had to go back to work again. That's, that's, this is what this lesson's all about. This is what we're talking about today in order to do that. But also some of the examples of the properties when I bought them and what I learned from them as well. Um, instantly enough, I, I was listening to a billionaire. I listened to a lot of billionaire stories. You get loads of them on 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 YouTube. Uh, Noah, I'm not sure who Noah's second name is, but Noah talks about this all the time. Most people will know who Noah is. Um, he actually sits and interviews billionaires and stuff like that. Um, and you know, Rob Rob Moore does it as well, and uh, and Diary of a CEO. You know, Steve Bartlett does this as well. But it's the stories and the lessons that you learn from these people that are far more. Now, I've not any, I've not got any desire to be a billionaire, to be honest. Um, but the lessons and the information that you could learn and the wisdom you can gain from these people is astronomical. And more importantly, it's their failures I'm after. It's what they've learned from their failures. What, how did they fail and what they've learned from their failures? That's what. That's that's the two things for me. Uh, and actually, the, the one thing, and parents, you're, gonna, you're not going to like this. <laughs> so I'll give you a, a complete disclaimer to education straight away. <laughs> but some people out there might get it and think, that's to- that's absolute sense to me. Um, I was listening to this billionaire recently, and he said two things uh, to become great in life, which can guarantee a good income and you to be wealthy and prosperous as well. There's two things that you can do. You can either become, you can either stick in at school and become a, and 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 with the mindset of becoming a professional in a profession. And that means sticking at school and going to university, maybe to be a doctor, to be a vet, to be a solicitor or a lawyer, um, to be an accountant, because they all require uh, specific exams and specific measures of of education levels in order to go on to do the professional exams and then do that as well. So, yes, absolutely, you can stick in at school. But I tell you what, if you're not going to do that, you really have to become, you really have to become a, a great saver and investor if you're not doing anything like that. If you're not doing anything like that at all and you're not working towards in your education to become an, into a profession, a proper profession, that you need that education level to get there, then just get the basic education but become an outstanding saver and an outstanding investor at the same time. That's the, yeah. that's the two keys to guarantee your prosperity and your wealth, uh, a good income and, and, and wealth as well. Uh, that's exactly what you should do. And, and, and I, I get that straight away. Most often for all of us, and this is key as well, life is forced upon us. Our choice is how we want to live it. So how do you want to live it? Think about that. Yeah, life I think... Life on everybody. It's how everybody do you want to live it. Everybody does have that choice. Uh, some people yeah. say, oh, I don't have a, a choice how I live. But a lot of people out there, and, and myself included in the very beginning, Thought that we didn't have a choice how we lived it. It was all pre. It was all pre. 
pre-done, predetermined for us. Programmed for you, instead yeah. out for you. Basically. Our life was determined for us because we're basically led down this path and called a, a school and an education in order to get the result. I mean, look at Rishi Sunak now. No, people should know more about mathematics. Uh, why? Why? Sorry? Why would that be? Oh, so you can work in the industries that you choose us to work in. You know, that's that's why he wants that that thing. I think what he really meant about it, though, people should be more aware and what the real meaning of this was of managing their money and yeah. saving their money and also budgeting their money. That's what he really meant by, by what, what, what the children of the youth of today need to know at an education level. So yes, absolutely, do your basic mathematics and your basic uh, English and all the rest of it, get a really good handle on it. But more importantly, the one thing that should be mandatory in every single school is business studies. Yeah, like money management and yeah. budgeting and things. It's just something that's no talk, really. Business studies gives you an introduction to business management. It gives you an introduction to how to handle people. It gives you an introduction to how to public speak, how to use um, uh, the legal system, how, an introduction to how the legal system works, an introduction to how, you know, bookkeeping works, how the debit and credit process works, how, how to read accounts at the basic fundamental level, yeah. a profit and loss account and a balance sheet. That's key and essential. Now, most people won't think that they need to do that, but even for your own, for your own, budget for your household actually an income and expenditure account would go wouldn't go amiss yeah. for most people that i've just i've just seen in the now that they, they, you know one of the foundations have come out uh, just today after my broadcast last night actually no because of my broadcast by the way <laughs> after my broadcast last night i actually said uh, all these shops have done bumper bumper turnover this year yeah that's i heard that news yeah marks and spencer's next and all the rest of it and that tells me straight away that a lot of people have spent on a credit card this year for Christmas, and yeah. and so because and it's been better than the year before for them, so that makes it even worse, especially if we're in this sort of cost of living uh, situation that we are now. That means a lot of people have borrowed for Christmas, and this foundation today came out and said that it'll take years for some people to actually pay off that credit card for Christmas that they just spent the other now. Yeah, the a lot of people in that position. Holiday company. Holidays.co.uk just came out and said that now the average holiday that people are booking is three thousand pound. Sorry, what? That's a lot of money. And it's like that's the average. That's average. It's like my God, I've just got my two weeks in Spain and it's all under a thousand pound, and and that's yeah. the end of August, the beginning of September. Admittedly, I've got my own place, but but that's that. The point is. It's like that cost a blooming fortune to, to, to do normal holidays. Uh, so I think, uh, I reckon, a lot of people might actually end up doing staycations. Yeah, the but then even at that as well, I mean, they're becoming pricey as well. I thought, well, I thought staycations were going to disappear, but I think they might be here to stay while people cut their, cut their cloth. Yeah. To suit their budget. So I definitely think staycations is probably here to say that's probably a really good point. Uh, to point out that. But let's get down to brass tacks. Yes. Where did we finish off, Richard? We finished off, you just finished speaking about uh, your property, um, three-bedroom, semi-detached house in quite a popular area of Levan. Um, and then we're going on now to a one-bedroom apartment that you've got, um, where we still we still have at the moment. Yeah, this was, my, this was my first introduction to a property over commercial premises. Um, right, and, yeah. and, you know, and, and it's with Nat West still. Um, because I've got a lifetime tracker at base plus 0.99. It's like, what? <laughs> so, and I've still got that lifetime tracker today, um, but it was the first time I'd actually got over commercial premises and uh, NatWest were the only company that was going to do it. And I think NatWest is the only company that still does normal buy-to-let over, over commercial premises. Um, so if anybody's looking for buy-to-let over commercial premises, NatWest is probably the, the buy-to-let lender to go to. I don't think, um, I, you know, don't quote me on it. Some mortgage brokers out there might be able to tell me otherwise on TikTok or Instagram or any of these channels, uh, yeah. Facebook and YouTube. Um, they might be able to tell me otherwise if Birmingham Midshires or possibly the Mortgage Watch do it as well, but I don't think they do. It also taught me quite a valuable lesson um, um, in terms of, what would I say, over the years it's had its challenges, uh, this one. Um, it's been a bit self-contained because it, it's but but the thing about it what I loved about it the most was it now warned me to buying properties right in the high street or next to the high street because mm -hmm. that's effectively where it was so while it didn't have a garden and I was always I was always wanting you know to buy properties by garden um it had it was an upstairs 
so there was nobody above the, that person so you get the, the personal enjoyment of your of your the property to yourself um, but equally as well, it's right next to the high street. So you just walk at your front door and you're in between all the amenities you really need to get on with things. So it has a specific different type of market. Um, normal, a single professional or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it actually, it is actually a good earner. I mean, what we're getting 395 on that just now. Yeah. Uh, my mortgage uh, works at £97 a month. Yeah. So yeah. almost clearing 300 a month in it. Now, admittedly, that was bought in 2004, so we're almost 20 years on. And that property was bought at 30,781, 30, all in at that time. And if I was to put it on the market today and try and sell it, I think probably, what, 55 maybe? Let's say 50, yeah. So it's it's probably only gone up round about maybe 70, 80%, but it doesn't really matter to me. Um, it's more importantly what cash it generates and and how well it's occupied and it, it tends to be occupied nearly all the time doesn't it yeah i mean uh, in between a couple of days and we've decorated and then the most recently i think we just put a kitchen in um but apart from that i don't think you've had any great expenditure on it as such um, yeah. and it's it's, it's it's been filled for numerous years now and and have we been the kitchen at some point just recently eh? Just before the last tenancy. Yeah. So just recently changed the kitchen, recently yeah. changed the heating system. Um and bathroom's still the same, I think. Bathroom's still the same, yeah. Bathroom was fine, wasn't it? It was yeah. really nice. So that's 20 years past, and that bathroom has still lasted perfectly well. And it's a really lovely bathroom. Yeah, it's um, in quite good condition. Yep. And and it's got great amount of storage up in the attic, and it's got a great amount of storage in the cupboards as well. Um mm -hmm. so that's what I loved so much about it, and it was it, it wasn't on the it was it wasn't a direct on the high street, so people walking past your window. It was an internal stairway going up. Um, more importantly, as well, you've got to watch out as well for you know fly by nights. I've got to admit, there was one day I did walk into this property, into the hall downstairs. I heard a wee bit a noise in the in the cupboard um, um, where the where the bins are usually kept. And lo and behold, I opened it, and there's two boys shooting up. Oh God! <laughs> it's like, and they're just sitting in the complete dark, and it's like, oh my God, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, go do that somewhere else. Uh, and it's not that type of area. It was always no, like they needed somewhere, so they thought they would just come in here. That's the importance of having a secure door entry system. Yeah. It didn't have it at that time, and that was that was the problem. Somebody had got in and they just sat in this wee cupboard, and they were just having a, you know, whatever it was, whether it was heroin or that, um, and and then just getting on with it. But that's where I got, you know, this is the sort of thing I got introduced to. Like I never thought there was a there was any kind of drugs problem when you started to be a, a private landlord and you started to you started you to see this round about you. Yeah. And you're like, oh my god, this is. Uh, I wouldn't say it's rife. But it's the fact that it's something you have to deal with in people's lives. I think, yeah, especially as an agent and things. Obviously, you're aware these things go on, but until you actually do something like a landlord or be a letting agent and you're dealing with it like in the forefront every day, that's when you realise, um, like you say, like it's not rife, but it's there. Yeah, if anybody wants to ask any questions, please feel free to ask. If you've got any comments, please feel free to make comments. You know, if you're if you're going, oh, we hate private landlords. Let's, you know, pitchforks out and all the rest of it. Jog <laughs> on. Just go and watch something else. You know, this isn't the channel for you. Don't waste your life watching me. <laughs> That's what I would say to these people. There's no point. It's like you're going to have a go at me, but it doesn't make any difference to me at all. It just wastes your time. So yeah. if you're here and you're willing to listen and you're willing to learn and you're willing to you want to make money you want to increase your wealth you want to um have more prosperity in your life then probably this is the one for you uh, to talk yeah. about this um, it stopped me i tell you what it still taught me for retiring i mean we're on roundabout coming approaching 30 properties at this point in time remember i was self-managing still so i'm working as a financial controller and um, stroke financial director in a position I'm at 30 properties almost by now, and I'm managing the whole lot myself still. Uh, so I'm taking phone calls during the day and stuff like that, you know, and just trying to field, uh, making sure that my, my tenants would phone me at night. They all knew I worked during the day, so they were phoning me at night. In some emergencies, they would text me because I, I used all these different things. I used efficiency and, and, and you know, what we call nowadays is AI. You know, I was using that to the advantage and, 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 and 
and taking advantage of all the information technologies around about me in order to make things more efficient for me so I could get messages to me quicker and I can get messages to my contractors quicker. So I was basically managing all my properties at the same time and doing that and, and having a real balance. Now, the reason I was doing that is because the object of the exercise for me was I was never taking any money out of my business at all. I was living on my income I generated in my job. It's a great thing to be because you can keep reinvesting all the profits that you make and upgrading your stock and also uh, buying more stock as well. Yeah. And that's what I've always followed. I've never really taken I've never really taken any money in my vitality business from the very beginning. And folk are going, well, what's the point of doing it? Um, it was the one-offs now and again that I did. You know, if I wanted to go on that holiday just to do the now to Jamaica, if I wanted to get my knee sorted through the private healthcare system, I was able to do that. Um, all these things, if I wanted to help my brother, if I wanted to help my daughter buy her first house, I was able to do that. So that's the only reason that money would go there. I would never take anything else out. If you are self-managing, you do want to take something out, then I would recommend you probably just take out a percentage of your top-line income, which is equivalent to what a, a letting agent would take out, if you need money to survive. But in my context, it was like I reinvested everything. Never mind your 40, 30, 30, you know, uh, Grant Cardone attitude. It's like, it was almost like uh, 80% invested, 20% I'm going to live on. <laughs> and and even, even my day-to-day -day job, I was investing the money from that into buy collecting into property as well at the same time. So I was still doing all that, even though I had all this, what, what you would, and I never counted it either, because I thought at this point, if I started counting this and realised how much I really had and what I was really worth, um, would that have actually made me think, oh, I could retire quicker? Or but I could it deterred you for what you were... Set out to do and, and my fear is I would never be where I am now if I hadn't yeah. if I had done that. So it was never something I really counted. I just looked after the day to day and the detail and made sure the cash kept coming in because the KPIs are right. You know, you've got the KPIs, which is the key performance indicators. If you keep an eye on the key performance indicators and make sure they're right, and I was always taught this from Willie McCall at ESA Macintosh when he was my uh, he was the uh, operations director. Willie actually said. Because I used to say, um, look, you know, is it more, no more important about the, you know, the profit? And you see the profit and loss every single month. And I went, no, 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 Jim, no, no, no. He says, if if the if the if the labour efficiency is right, if the if the material efficiency is right, if the yields right, he says, and if the cost per hour is right, he said, everything else will fall into place. Mm -hmm. Wow, really. He says, that's the only thing. He says, these are about five things that I keep an eye on every single week or every single day. And because I keep an eye on these, at the end of the month, I'm guaranteed it's going to be a profit if these are right. And, and you see how we do that as well. Yeah. You know, same lesson. We know the key performance indicators in our business. Um, and we operate as letting agents and as the state agents. And even I know that in my own buy-to-let business. And if these key performance indicators are right, it's guaranteed at the end of the month there's a profit anyway. Yeah. So you don't need to sit and wait till the end of the month. You just keep an eye, an eye on your KPIs. Uh, somebody actually asked me on TikTok. Uh, good question. Um, to do, to do, do all of your 30 properties have mortgage on them? Absolutely. <laughs> it's like, absolutely. You do not want an unencumbered property, especially if you're making, at this point in time, my benchmark is 25% return on capital. 25%. I was in tears if I never made more than 25% every single time. And my key uh, cash flow after my mortgage was paid to have, after the mortgage was paid, my key benchmark was £250 cash or more. Now, you, for me personally, I don't see, I, I can't see and understand why anybody want unencumbered if you're, if you're not getting a return on your capital, if that makes sense. If, if you're only making... 4% or 3% or 2% in the bank, even if you're making 6%, and you've got the opportunity to, to, to take that and remortgage. And remember, my, my mortgage rate at that time was 7% because I've still got old, you know, um, documentation and, that and spreadsheets that I looked at. So my mortgages I was paying was 7%. And I was happy to pay 7% because my benchmark was 25% return on capital against that thing. So every single time, on just on the mortgage getting paid, I was making... Um, before before the overheads, I was clearing with the bank's money, I was clearing the differential, which is 18%. 18% return on investment after the mortgage is paid. Now, see where that is. Now, most of these properties with a the mortgage, that's 18% return on investment after the mortgage is paid. 
And then when you look at it, if you had it unencumbered, so you had no mortgage, your gross yield, which is the same measure with the amount of rent coming in versus the price of the property, because it's all uh, paid for, would be round about probably 7%. 7% or 18%. I know which one I'm on. And that's without actually the appreciation included either. Because that's the appreciation comes on, on the two scenarios anyway. So it was a comparable against the gross yield, which is all cash all in and encumbered debt, paid off completely. Or it was also against your net yield, which is after the mortgage interest is paid, what is the yield now against your investment? That's the two differentials. So if one's making substantially more, then that's the one you that's the one you go with. So yeah. absolutely, I, there's never a time I don't think I would ever not have a mortgage on a property, especially with the amount of return that you could make over and above that. Um, and that's just me personally. I don't advise everybody to do that. It depends on your personal circumstances, yeah. but that's the way it is. Um, Okay, uh, just a quick question. I have no problems, uh, 90k a year in rent, uh, two and a half net month, uh, equity 900,000. Should I sell or buy later? Uh, oh, uh, should I sell now, uh, buy later? No, I would never sell. There's another thing. You've actually just uh, nailed it. You've actually just reminded me of this. I have sold about 20 properties over the year, over the years. And and I am a great believer in never chopped in the tree that bears the fruit unless there's a there's an overriding circumstances and i will talk about that right now and how i've done that um so let's talk let's just go on to talk about that one bedroom um and and we got that and then the next one i bought was in 2004 was another one bedroom but actually 2005 now i have to jump back here and um, from here but i noted in 2005 this was a property i actually had a wee there was a wee problem with outside it looked a bit structural, and I did get a surveyor to look at it, but uh, it, there was, it didn't seem anything wrong with it, but it was a big crack, and a big crack down the side of the building. The surveyor went, no, there's nothing wrong with that, really. Um, but it came back to haunt me about 20 years later, um, because then what had happened is the roof started to bow a bit, so I had to get some structural um, work done. Um, by, and I was lucky enough to do it, and I, it must it maybe cost me about £7,000 to get it done. Um, so it's sorted now. So it was fine. It was a risk I took at the time when I had the severe structural. And most people would have walked away, which they did, but I actually didn't bother as much about that one. Um, and and today we're getting, what, 350 on that? Again, another lifetime tracker, a base plus 1.15. Um, and that's what I say to you, you know, and the guy on TikTok, whoever that is, or the person on TikTok, uh, whether it's a girl or a guy, um, um, what I would say to you is... Um, because I was getting them at base plus 1.15, base plus 0.99 for life as trackers, for life of the mortgage, and that's up till the 2030s and on, 2035 when these run out, I never wanted to let these go, hence the reason why I've still got them today. Because it's it's an easy gig. It's like literally 350 and the mortgage is 120 quid every month. So I'm clearing 230 quid uh, for overheads. Uh, plus the fact the property will appreciate. So I bought that one for $27,881. And it's probably a double double in value since then. Yeah. Yeah. Now, incidentally, at that time, this is where I this is where I digress. I actually looked last night and I found one, two, three, four, I thought 13 different properties <laughs> that I forgot in between that I didn't I didn't realize I didn't realize was it was in existence. Um I actually started to buy through my limited company. This is where my limited company started in uh, tw uh, 2002. So if we go back in time three years to 2002, uh, I set up a limited company deliberately. It was because everything was bought in Elaine's name, okay? My wife. Because I was working and I was more or less going into higher rate tax. So the last thing I was going to do is buy properties in my own name to go into higher rate tax. And then everything was bought in Elaine's name because obviously at that time we were getting really good advantages of deduction of mortgage interest we were getting the capital allowance. We were get, we were getting um, wear and tear allowance of 10% of top-line rent for furnished properties. We were getting also our uh, capital gains allowances if you ever sold. Um, uh, so there was huge tax advantages. Plus, Elaine wasn't earning income because she had retired years ago. She retired the day she got her redundancy money, and then I started investing her redundancy money in property. She retired that day to, to look after the kids. You know, we had children after that because that was the plan that we'd wanted to do. Um, so that allowed her to do that. 
So I started buying the limited company because she'd got to the threshold of the high rate tax as well. I never knew about pensions, by the way, about contributing towards a pension to bring you down at that time. So I just immediately jumped in and says, okay, let's buy them in the limited company now. Uh, and at that time, again, it was quite difficult because it was 2002, buy collect mortgages just come online for uh, individuals, but not for limited companies. So I had to go back to the old model again I had with the Bank of Scotland. Um, the Bank of Scotland's been with me for the very beginning, by the way. I'm extremely loyal to them for that very reason, because they're the ones that helped me set me free, um, and many other people as well. Um, so the Bank of Scotland actually decided to do term loans again with me on the limited company. On the limited company yeah. It was really track record um, at delivering. The track record I'd done. But I remember walking into my bank manager one day with a plan about what I wanted to do. And and I just presented it to him. And I says, there you go. Um, I can't remember if it was Angus or whatever his name was. Um, you, you, you forget who they were actually, but he was a really good guy. Um, maybe it was John. Remember, that's about 20 years ago. Yeah, maybe it was John, actually, John Houston. So John actually started doing one, and I just presented him with the business plan. Remember, a business plan. It doesn't need to be the, the be-all and end-all. It just needs to know the, they just need to know the numbers and how that all works. Yeah. I mean, most buy-to-let buy processes do do that, but if you're looking for term loans, the only way you're going to get it over a corporate lender is actually have a proper kind of a business plan about what you want to do. Now, I've already established a track record. I'm going I'm going to the moon from that point in time in 2002 still, and I'm buying property like it's going out of fashion. Um, but he, he said to me, he actually said to me one day when I presented the business plan, he went, and are you going to tell me what you had for your breakfast as well? <laughs> and I went, I just looked at him, and he, and he said, well, he said, he says, you've got to the point, Jim, where you actually put something in front of me and I cannot say no, because you've given me every single reason to say yes. Yeah. See how that's done. If you give the bank manager every reason to say yes, they're never going to be able to. They're never going to say no. How could they? Mm -hmm. And that's exactly the reason I've got them on, on at me right now. You know, both are a couple of companies actually bank managers and and that trying to do one point nine million with me. Um, and and they're basically throwing themselves at me. And it's like, what? Why did you not do that years ago? <laughs> I done that years ago when I first started. Um, but but that's a track record is everything. So if you can establish a track record pretty quick in terms of what you're doing, just in the model you're doing and the way you're doing it, and then not take money out, they love it when you don't take money out. That's the one thing. Because they realize that your income is not dependent on this. So therefore, yeah. they're more likely to invest in it with you. And get and, and what I mean is invest in it with you. They provide the lending because they are investing in it with you. And they allow you to then go on and actually make a lot more money out of their money. That's their that's their contribution to it. But they, but they love the fact that you do not take money out of your buy-to-let business. And you have uh, uh, your, your mainstream, you know, your job is actually your income you survive on. That is a really good, that is a really good precedent to set for a buy-to-let lender. Um, when they see things like that, they love it. Uh, and they'll give you a lot more money as a result and a lot more lending because they realise there's no risk in that um, because that's on its own. They're also loan-to-value. They're hedged around about 60% loan, 60 loan-to-value um, in terms of where they do their lending. Um, therefore, what risk have they got? You're not, you're not relying on the income, so that's fine. And plus the fact they've got 40% equity in the game. You know, in terms of what they can do if they need to do a fire sale. And what I mean by a fire sale, if they need to say, we need to sell it all off quick so we can get our money back, that's a fire sale to the bank. Now, think about it. The credit crunch, the market dropped 20%. So you really think you're going to get to a point where you're going to have to exit with a 40% drop? Pretty unlikely. Yeah. So that's why they love the fact that there's no risk involved in that for them at all, really. They can exit any time it gets tough um, in the circumstances if they really need to. So there's a really good harmonious relationship built with, your, with the bank um, for that reason, for that very reason. Uh, actually, he's asking me there, do you see a crash ahead? No. Uh, probably just a mild a mild realignment, I would call it. Um, I'm predicting property prices probably this year coming will go down by the end of the year, probably between 5 and 10%. If that, however, there's indicators now saying to me that um, the economy isn't going to be hit as bad as it is, 
um, and, 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 and inflationary pressure is only going to be, they're only looking to bring it down to about 5 or 6% this year, um, the inflation uh, benchmark. So they're not going to be as draconian in terms of their, in terms of the way they, the way they try to bring it down by putting base rates up so high that it basically gets to the point where it tortures people that they can't spend anything. And therefore, that's how our economy shrinks. And that's yeah. how the housing market shrinks as well at the same time, because people lose their jobs. But the, the object of the exercise is not. And, and to be honest, in this sort of market just now, uh, the people that lose their jobs can easily probably pick up a job elsewhere. Because there's more jobs on the market than there is people looking for jobs. The biggest, biggest threat to inflation this year, by the way, is going to be poaching from another employer and how much you're going to have to pay for that. That's what's going to push wage inflation up. Okay, so my first one, actually, I bought my limited company. It was a one-bedroom lower flat. I've still got it today. I bought it for £15,000. Um, what did we get on that? Probably about what, three, three seven five or something like that. Um, yeah, it was over three seven five. yeah. Yeah, so we get about three seven five on that. So I bought it for fifteen grand, and I've still got it at fifteen grand. Although I've actually used it to leverage in terms of getting further lending to reinvest to buy more property. I bought another twenty last year, and for that reason, so I leveraged it, and it made absolute sense. But I was getting deals from the bank on on these rates at base plus um, base plus two percent. So base plus two percent. So basically, you know, almost like a tracker. Um, and I was getting them for 20 years, term loans. And, and they were term loans, remember, so I was paying down the debt. So basically what I was doing is, you know, I, 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 now it's completely different. But that time I was probably making about 50 grand profit, but only 25,000 was actually coming out in cash flow because 25,000 was used to pay down the debt out of that profit in the limited company. Yeah. So, so that's how it worked. Um, where, um, and then I was depreciating my assets as well, which I've now found that you don't, you shouldn't depreciate. You shouldn't depreciate investment assets um, like houses. And the reason for that is because it makes your balance sheet look negative, or it makes it look really low. So when the bank comes to lend, or or anybody comes to credit search you, therefore they actually think you've got less assets than you have. Uh, so it could take a wee bit a longer job. So you get a professional RICS surveyor to maybe go ahead and every three years uh, this is under the standard statement uh, statement of standard accounting practice um for investment properties i think it was uh, uh, ssap 13 if i'm if i'm right somebody might create one as an accountant i don't know if the ssaps exist anymore um but um the statement of standard accounting practice 13 actually said that you you should you shouldn't actually depreciate investment assets investment properties um, but I actually had a, a policy in the limited company of depreciating my the the properties. Um, so it was giving me a false sense of security or a false, you know, that false sense that I was actually, yeah. I actually didn't have enough to actually retire. But again, I come back saying I didn't want to focus on it because then I probably would have, I probably would have made that leap earlier, which would have, wouldn't have made me where I am now. I would have been a, a wee bit behind. Um, and that was one actually, that was one actually at the had, these were all properties that they never had internal um, toilets. That's how old they were. They were built in the 1920s. So they didn't have internal toilets at the time. And it was only in the 1970s they actually started to do all that. And the, the government gave grants for it. And what they did was they sold these properties to the council. The council did all the upgrades on the grants and then sold them back to the owner for the same price. Um, and then that's how you got, you know, a shower room at the end of the hall, which was used to be a cupboard. Yeah. Uh, and then convert it to a shower room. That's why you got half of your living room taken away to in between between the living room and the bedroom to actually be a bathroom with no window outside. Um, that's how that happened. Um, so so they, they were good. They were good properties. They were downstairs. Good for somebody that can't manage stairways either. Um, so that's that was a great benefit. So that's one of the lessons I learned uh, out of that one. Uh, the next one was actually um, a two-bedroom upper. Excellent for it again. Uh, bought for sixteen thousand in two thousand and two. Um, and again, if you were to put these properties back on the market, well, they're selling for about seventy thousand now, aren't they? Yeah, they can sell about sixty-five, seventy at least. Yeah, so two thousand and two, twenty years has passed from sixteen thousand to sixty thousand. So it's gone up four hundred percent. Effectively, four hundred percent is appreciate. Well, three hundred percent added on to the hundred percent in the beginning. Um, so basically, it's three hundred percent in terms of the price that's gone up. Now, admittedly, 
had done improvements, new kitchen, new bathroom, caps and curtains, double glazing. So I did all that, but that's not included in that value. So, and it was all deductible because I had the tenant move in and then I did it when the tenant was in there. And that's what made it deductible. If you do, if you do a refurbishment at the beginning, um, the inland revenue will question you about that um, if that's deductible against your income because the, the person hasn't lived in it yet. It's, it's classed as a capital, a capital improvement. Therefore, yeah. you should capitalise it in the balance sheet. Therefore, if you're never going to sell, you'll never see the benefit of it. So you're better to actually get the tenant to move in and just say to them, once you've moved in a couple of months, I'll do all the refurbishments if that's okay with you because I can now deduct that against my, my mainstream income. I can now deduct it in the year I actually do the work and I, I won't need to capitalise it for that reason. So that's probably the lesson I learned out of that. Um, and, and one of the ones as well, the downstairs neighbour was horrific and, and probably is still today. And you'll know that yourself. Um, this person, if they don't like the tenant upstairs, they'll do everything to be antisocial. That's a house owner. Just if they don't like them. No nothing to do with the way they live. Just if their face doesn't fit, this person is a completely horrible person. Just horrible to that, to anybody. You know, and just about everything. And it's and it's what you say, Richard, you know, there's a stigma and this guy has a stigma against people that rent property. Yeah. Like it's against tenants. I don't know why he's like that, and and I've seen it over the years. He looks down on tenants. He yeah. looks down on these people. He looks down on people at rent, and actually think and, and actually looks at them as inferior. And and I don't like that for that very yeah. reason. I could, to be honest, you could really put a horrible tenant in there to get them back. But it's like I'm no into that. I don't play that game with people. No. It's like you know, I'm I'm getting the right tenant, and I want to build a right a good reputation over the years for providing service for being a really good landlord an outstanding landlord um and and that's the reputation i want to have uh, and i want to proceed me and i want that's because that then means that a lot of people are actually join um and come to stay with us you know you're having that discussion with one person just now yeah. she wants a move from one of my one of my existing flats, yeah. properties uh, because she can't manage the stairs anymore and yeah, that's that's, that's the great thing about having and looking after people for their for life, is you look after them very very well and provide them with an exceptional service and do everything for them. They will just stay with you forever. And yeah, that's I, I had that conversation this morning with her, and she's actually she's been speaking to the council. But rather than go with the council, she says I would rather stay with you. I just I need something on a lower level. So yeah. that speaks volumes if they want to stay with us rather than uh, go with the council or whatever the council are offering her. Now, in 2003, the next property I bought was a one-bedroom downstairs. And I actually bought it, and it was a repossession. But this is when I had to start sending someone else around to view them. This is when I had to start sending someone else around to view them. Why is that, Jim? <laughs> because everybody that knew me knew damn fine. As soon as I went to see a property, it must be a winner. Yeah, right. I had that reputation, you know, within that short space of time, within what was five five or six years, everybody started to realise that this guy has got the Midas touch. It's like everything this guy touches, it turns to gold every single time. Um, and and if I turned up to a viewing, everybody would be interested as a result. Say, did you feel that everybody was kind of following yes. where you were? <laughs> yeah, every time I appeared at a viewing. So I had to ask agents, is there any chance I can get a viewing on my own? This one was, no, it's a repossession. Uh, they never said it was a repossession, but I knew that. Yeah. Um, by, the, by the stickers on the toilets and stuff like that. That was all there still as well. Um, um, so I actually sent one of my people that worked with me. <laughs> I sent one of my staff <laughs> when I was working at Macintosh, Michelle. I says, Michelle, go and do my favour. Just pop down at lunchtime. Just have a quick look around. See what it's like. If you're, if you're happy with it, if you think, yeah, everything looks okay, nothing really jumps out of you, it's been a real big problem. And that's when I started to take a leap of faith in other people doing this for me yeah. uh, in, terms of, in terms of viewing the properties for that very reason. If I turned up, other people would be interested. Because um, they knew fine. Because every time I turned up to a viewing before that, it was like I ended up buying it and I got it for a knockdown price because I used to put other people off. I used to do the open houses and I used to walk around straight away and go, ooh, I didn't care about the fireplace and the heating system. It's like, is that working? It's what with the electrics. They didn't look very well. And, and that bit in the corner doesn't look very good. And 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 everybody used to, and I never used to talk to anybody else about it. Just I just like talked to yourself. Loud. 
and talk through it with the agent that was there doing the viewings or the viewing lady or the viewing person. Uh, and, and and subsequently, everybody would be overhearing that and going, and, and then I would get out the, out the door and I'd be going down and going, so what's your thoughts to other people? And they'd go, oh, I'm no bidding on this. It's like, no, it looks like there's too much work. And I'm going, happy days. <laughs> <laughs> happy days. <laughs> and I'd, I'd managed to put everybody off, off psychologically, you know, playing that game like Muhammad Ali used to do before he even got into the ring. Everybody else was out. <laughs> and the guy had the guy had himself knocked out in the second round, and Muhammad Ali hadn't even thrown a punch yet. So that's that's the psychological process he used to do, and and I do do that some. I, I do still do that sort of form of process today, in in terms of my negotiation for buying more property, but also my negotiation in a state agency and a land agency. You know, when it's you funny know, how about it, all that skill set from industry and from what I've been doing in this has followed me into being an estate agent and also being a letting agent. And that's why people pay me a big premium to actually go and do the job for them. It's funny how in an instant like that, um, how people can be so influenced and deterred from their own initial thoughts and perceptions of things just by obviously listening, overhearing what you're saying and it's changed how... So, I mean, I think a lesson there for people is to stick to your own mindset and what you what you are yeah. obviously working towards and don't let other people influence you mm. um, that's quite a good thing because they, like they, they, they obviously lost it because they're listening to well, what you're saying but you know yourself more and more now and i talk about this all the time as when i when i do vlogs and blogs and everything yeah. i say look at the facts assess the facts before you make a decision on, on an emotional level Look yeah. at the facts first. You may get the initial impact emotionally, you know, like your chimp kicks off because your chimp's the emotional side of you. You can't control the chimp, but the chimp goes to the human side of you, the logical, the, the, the part, that, the one that thinks about the facts and figures, and then it goes, you know, is this justified how I'm kicking off? And then you go, well, no, shut up, Bubbles. You know, it's, <laughs> it's not going to do with you. Uh, that's what my chimp's called. Shut up, Bubbles. Uh, it's like, no, this is the facts and figures, and there's no way it's like that either. So this is why I talk about quite a lot about the, mm -hmm. you know, the IMF and how they see the economy going for the world, about a third yeah. in recession. Two-thirds are not going to be in recession as far as they're concerned. How the Bank of England thinks, how they all these think tanks, how they think, but also I look at the, the nuts and bolts about what it is. The, you know, the nationwide, the Halifax, uh, is all coming out with doom and gloom and saying, oh, property prices have dropped for the fourth month in a row. And it's like, oh, I couldn't care less. I'm waiting for the land registry statistics to come out on the 18th. That's what I'm waiting on, because yeah. that's the be-all and end-all. It's what the land registry says, because that's the collation of every single property sale in the whole of the UK for that period. Not just what the bank, not just what um, Nationwide or Halifax have with their own customers, because that's skewed, that yeah. information. Right Move Today has said property prices have gone up, according to their website, by £3,000. So what does that tell you? Another story, another mixed message. So this is why I look for the facts. So one person says one thing, one person says another thing, but where is the fundamental facts? Where is the basics? Where's the core value of this? Where, where is it coming from? And what should you believe and what should you not believe? And what should, what should you take with a pinch of salt? This is what tells me about yeah. the economy and where things are going. Uh, incidentally, that one, actually, you, you never ever saw this one because I flipped it eventually. So I rented it for a wee while after doing it up, and then I flipped it and I sold it um, three years later for forty-five grand. Woohoo! Yeah, bought it for fifteen, sold it for forty-five. All right, two hundred percent profit on that, plus the fact I did earn a bit of income on it because I rented it for a wee while as well. And uh, and believe it or not, I actually looked at it the other day, and I think it's actually completely empty, and it's been empty for years and years and years. So I don't think anybody's actually using it. So at some point in time, I might even buy it back. <laughs> 15 grand again. <laughs> so that's that's in 2003. And again, as I said, I sold it three years later. Um, yeah. The next one actually um, was someone, again, approached me. She was my downstairs neighbour. She was looking for a quick exit. She was just wanting the job done. The property was pristine inside. I know that. You know, it was always, she always kept it pristine. It was a two-bedroom lower flat. Um, again, it was, it made sense. It was £26,000, Richard, for mm -hmm. a two-bedroom lower flat in 2003. Um, it was renting for four four twenty. Um, The numbers made absolute sense to me. 26 grand, 420, 420, 
times 12 is around about five grand a year. Five grand a year top line income as a, to, for a £26,000 investment is a pretty good return. Then if you leverage it, it's even better. So even at five grand divided by 26, you're talking about a, what, a 20th, 20% return. That's a 20% gross margin or gross yield. 20% gross yield. And then when you leverage it, that gross yield will go up to about 40 or 60%. See how the numbers work so well. And this is where you focus on. Um, so she actually sold me that uh, lock, stock and barrel. And funny enough, I was doing furnished properties at that time. And I said, uh, the, wee, the wee one that said it for me, the sweetener was, you're going to leave all the white goods in your furniture. She had a nice suite. And a, and a fantastic bed. She just got she, everything's pristine in her house. I went, you just go leave all that stuff. And she went, yeah, okay then. So I got that. <laughs> <off the wind. laughs> but if you don't ask, you don't get. So you may as well ask for it if you're looking at. Um, yeah. And did it. I don't. I don't want furniture now to be honest. Um, because it's like, or I'll just give it to the tenant, or I'll get furniture plus to come and pick it up, recycle it, and give it to their charity. And their charity, their guys will, you know, um, um, re recycle it and and use it, and they'll make money with it to raise for their charity to keep everybody in a job, uh, all the voluntary system and the permanent workers as well to get people off the basically, you know, basically off the drink. <laughs> Yeah, because um, there's a lot of guys, and you know, a lot of guys that work in the are, are it's mainly guys to be honest. It just they've, they've fallen by hard times, they've just become completely demotivated because they've lost their job, they've never had a job for years, and that's what places like Furniture Plus existed at that time for to get all these people back into work. So you had maybe about what nine, nine or ten people that are employed full time there, but you had also about 20 or 30 volunteers that worked um, and volunteered as part of their process to get them back into the work get them back with some self-respect as well for themselves because they felt they had a purpose. For men, I can't speak for women, but I'll guarantee you for men, having a purpose is probably the most important thing in life. Having a purpose, a thing to drive towards, a thing to go for, is is the probably the most fundamental thing to their well-being. And if they don't have a purpose, most of them just turn to rack and ruin, and and yeah. it's, it's the drink of the drugs they get. I was just going to say, if if people, uh, uh, men, like you say, in particular, if they lose that purpose, whether it be losing a job or going through a divorce and things, it's a it's an easy way to uh, a downward downward spiral after that. If you lose that purpose in your life, it's inherently built into men. It's our psyche yeah. that we are providers, we are hunter gatherers, and that's caveman days. You can't you can't change that. That's that's psychology. That's hardwired into us. That's why your vision is is foveal vision, which is direct on point. Whereas um, women are built as nurturers, okay, and uh, and and home builders, and they are periphery vision. Well, so they see yeah. they see either side, so they can see what's going on over here, whereas we can only see directly in front of us. That's why when you go to a cupboard as a man and go. It's no there and close the cupboard. And your, your wife or your partner comes along and opens it and goes, there it is right there. Like, every single time, it's like, yeah. I never saw that. It's like right in front of me. And I never saw that because we are, we are uh, foveal vision. And pinpoint. things, And we're pinpointing for it because it's a hunter-gatherer thing. We don't yeah. have this peripheral vision that women have, which's inherently built into them um, from, from nature. Um, and, and that's the fundamental difference between the species. Yeah. Um, you can't change that at all. It's just the way we are. So, And that's why men tend to think long-term and plan long-term, whereas women actually think short-term because they're looking after a family or or that's how they're built. That's how their psychology works. Yeah, I know there's people out there that say, I don't want to have a family. And I know. I tell you what, as, as psychologists say, some professional psychologists say, Wait till you get to about 40 and you've not got a family. Yeah. It begins to get a bit lonely. Your career doesn't date for you anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but you'll get there when you get there, uh, if you don't learn before then. So probably the most thing, uh, 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 that's when people started to come to me when I, when I got that two-bedroom lower flat. Yeah. Um, this was when I thought, okay, um, this is a pure nostalgia thing. My sweetie shop came up <laughs> for sale <laughs> <laughs> from when I was a kid. I used, used to, to be a sweetie shop. I can't remember it being a sweetie shop. That's obviously way before. Moz. It used to be called Moz. It used to be called Moz, a sweetie shop. Moz. And before that, it was Alex Patrick Clubmakers. 
Uh, from I knew it was the club makers. From <coughs> 1829, this place, this building was built in the 1800s, early 1800s, and it, 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 there was no cavity. There was just two bricks together. That's how they mm -hmm. were built because they didn't have no cavity wall insulation at that or cavities at that time. Yeah. They just put two bricks together and they built these buildings. Um, it is a beautiful building. It is very multifunctional in how to yeah. use it. Um, but it came up for sale. One of my friends actually had it. They had a. They had a. a, a I actually worked for them for a wee bit of while um, in a direct sales capacity, you know, helping them sell some overseas houses. Yeah. Um, but they bought it and I bought it off them um, because then it's like they didn't need it anymore. It's surplus to requirements. Uh, but it was my sweetie shop and I had complete nostalgia for it. And I didn't actually know what I was going to do with it, but I was, get, I was getting it for 34 grand. Really? That's good. Yeah, I was. It's a beautiful property. Yeah, yeah, um, a I was getting for thirty-four grand at that time, and I thought, "Wow, that makes absolute sense." In yeah. actual fact, um, I tell you what: at some point in time, it could be an office. There was a there was another couple of ventures that I lost. Uh, I actually, I actually took on the Sal the Salvation Army Hall, the old one at the back of um, uh, North Street and Leaven. Yeah, North Street. Yeah, near, just near the Street. Near yeah, the street. It's now a cafe and all the rest of that. Yeah, I got the opportunity to buy that for nine grand. Really? And it was accepted. I think about that because it's now 60. <laughs> <laughs> and I turned it down because I turned it down. Uh, when I bought it for nine, I actually committed to it. And then I got halfway into the transaction. I thought, God, even at nine grand, I don't even know what I'm going to do with this building. Yeah, It's like it's got a huge amount of work to do on it. Um, and do you know what? Do you know what I learned out of that one? It was more in the fact that I let that deal go. Um, even though I, had a, I could have bought it at nine, and then I could have probably sold it probably 10 years later at about 50 or 60,000. Mm -hmm. What I learned from it, it, you know, Indiana Jones at, at the, 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 the uh, I think it's the Temple of Doom. No, it's the one with the goblet. You know, when he tries to get the, the Last Crusade? All oh, right, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. When he gets the goblet and he's at the end and they're trying to drink the goblet and and the 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 knight says drink from the right goblet and all the rest of it and then he uh, drops yeah. the goblet and the the earthquake happens the the ground opens yeah and the goblet's on the other side and the first the first woman tries to tries to cling tries to cling for the goblet this is a great a, a great metaphor for things in life that you sometimes have to let go she wouldn't let go. Um, and she suffered, and she lost her life for it. Mm -hmm. um, where Indiana Jones at the end was actually a, a very, very prevalent in terms of what it is, what I know today, is his father, mind you know, his dad actually said to him, "Look, Indy, you need to let go, or you're going to yeah. die." And he let that go, um, and he lived as a result of that. And that's the same analogy I used with that. If I had taken that on, I think I would have had to spend at least 30000 on it. Now, when yeah. you think about the price I was buying property for, 30000 would actually buy me probably another six another or seven property. properties. Yeah. So it was all about it was all about letting something go to actually benefit even more about the return on investment you could have yeah. for later on. I think yeah, that's okay. the lesson that told me. Mm -hmm. So Cali House, good addition. I've still got it today, and I rent it as a commercial property. Um, it's a beautician that has the front, and it's rented yeah, all the time. Too, yeah. and, uh, and I keep the back for all my files and all my accounts and, and storage and everything like that. So that's where all that goes. Well, I to go out as well. <laughs> but then equally as well, Richard, that's where I first started at Century 21 when I retired. Yeah. So when I retired at 38, I actually opened there for the first time at Century 21. Um, the beauticians that actually just moved out, Claire, I was in the beauty house there the now and and the and Schooney Road. Yeah. Uh, and I was talking to her and they were actually saying that, you know, if it wasn't the first starting there, they wouldn't have been able to be where they were. Yeah. So and the, think, new, the new tenants I, love the, the uh, love it in there as well. So and well, they're I think, just kind of starting out. So from a point of view, Richard, it's a it's an incubator. Yeah. It's an incubator for businesses, that, that premises. That's really where it comes into its own. And the fact that it allows people to get started in business yeah. and have their own premises. And then from there, it allows them to take that leap to the next stage. So they don't take that leap straight away because they don't have the customer base. So it's it's cost effective to run just now with that cost with the customer base where they build it up. And then when they get a bit bigger and they've got they need a bigger premises, then they upgrade. Yeah. That's what allowed because Independent one-to-one's been in there as brokers. They're away to the Thompson House now. Then you have um, you have the beauticians that have been there. You have um, 
Eileen was there before. Eileen she was there. doing all the uh, aromatherapy and everything like that as well. So she ran her business from there as well. So it's been a great incubator business for um, for a lot of a lot of local small businesses, and that, that's what I loved about that property and, and myself included. If it wasn't if it wasn't for that, then I wouldn't have anywhere where I could have kept all the furniture, where I, where I could have done everything else, um, and where I could have worked from where we first started. Because there was no way we were going to be able. Uh, Gordon and I, when we started Century Twenty One, our, our estate agency. There was no way we were going to be able to afford to pay for our premises and rent off someone else. So in the beginning, it was like we I never paid myself any rent. I actually just used that premises for us to get started and uh, and start to incubate your, the own, next your own business, yeah. Yeah, baby, baby, incubate, baby. It's your yeah. baby. Your business is your baby. And that's really how it started. It's just an incubation process to the next stage to get to get into the next office and, and to move on from there. Next one, 2003 October, still limited company, uh, one bedroom lower flat. I don't Limit. think I've, I've not been in this one either. No, you never ever saw it. I wasn't in this one, you know. <laughs> um, uh, a one bedroom lower flat actually. So uh, I, I, I bought it for eleven and a half thousand pounds in October 2003. Somebody just wanted to rid it. Yeah. And it was it was an easy gig for them for them to sell it to me. Um, the, the only thing I could remember about this one is Norman died in it. One of my one of my long term tenants, Norman, was absolutely fantastic. Eh? He was a great guy. Uh, Jimmy's, it was Jimmy's uh, brother in law. You know Jimmy. He used to live in Parker Wink. All right, yeah. Jimmy was well as well. Jimmy and Norman used to go about all the time, and Mary as yeah. well. Unfortunately, Mary's no longer here either. Mary's away as well, yeah. Yeah, but but Mary, Norman, Jimmy, Donald, Amanda, um, you know David. Donald's still with us. Well, David as well. All these people have been with me for years in some yeah. shape or form in, in my properties and in my stock because I've looked after them all these years. Mm-hmm. Now, these have been people that have chosen to rent. They've always wanted to rent. They've never had any desire to go to a council house because I've looked after them all the time. Yeah. So I've done, you know, I've done what I've needed to do, and that's why they're still with me. But I remember Norman, I remember that was my first experience of someone passing away in the property and having a having to then have it cornered off because then the police then come along and say, look, we're going to have to, you know, um, uh, tape it off. You're not allowed access to the property. We're going to have to um, uh, ascertain the, the, the cause just of investigate death. Investigate the situation. Yeah, he, I mean, he just basically died on the couch, you know, fell asleep, died. That's That was the end of it. I mean, he was, yeah. a, he was a great guy. I like Norman. Um, but that was it. And then subsequently, uh, that was another one three years later. I bought it for 11 and a half and I sold it for 41. Yeah. Can't even notate that profit. Eh? I know. It's like it's and, and especially if you're getting a, a, a capital gains allowance. Eh? Well, actually, you're not getting a capital gains allowance on this one um, because it's a corporate. But then you're you're only paying the corporate rate of tax. You're not paying. You're, you're, there's no pushing into higher rate of tax or anything. And again, it's money in the bank eh, to do things later on. Eh? And I was eh, and and I bought I had bought so many. I, I really mean I bought so many in a, in the same street. I'd bought, I'd owned about, I'd maybe owned about 15% of the street at that point. I think, was it, was that, did you not have like 22 of them or something at one point, or maybe? No, uh, more than that. I mean, was it more than that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, if it wasn't for me though, that street wouldn't be as good as it was, because yeah. I put a huge investment into regenerating. I even paid for things like, I even got the Bank of Scotland to pay for the play park with me. Mm-hmm. So Bank of Scotland gave a contribution, and I gave a contribution to upgrade the play park. And put gates on it and put grates in it so dogs wouldn't get into it and yeah. uh, and do their toilet anyway. Yeah. Uh, so the we so the kids because the play park was right in between all the houses and it was perfect for all the families just to watch their the young children play in the play park and they'll be in a secure environment and um, because the gates are shut as well and the trivets are in place so the dogs and that can't get over it and animals yeah. can't uh, do the toilet in the park. So that was the great thing about having that type of park. That's what I loved about it was young families could actually, their, their kids could go and play in some sort of safe environment or security, and they can keep an eye on them, um, yeah. as well as having the back garden. But the great and thing that's is about, bonus. That's where you look at always being a landlord who's integrated in the community and and, and, and that whole function. So. Very, very community-oriented. And as I said before, I used to I used to turn up to all the things to do with tenants 